Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. In this episode of Lit Mag Love, a podcast for creative writers who want to publish, I interview Yonina Curtin from Room Magazine about the new web series she's editing called Turtle Island Responds. Room Magazine's Turtle Island Responds is creating an online library of lived experience offered in verse. This news-related online poetry series was inspired by Rattle Magazine's Poets Respond and the many conversations Yonina has had with others who found themselves on the fringes. So much of the news is offered through the lens of those in positions of power, but we rarely hear from the communities directly affected. This is an opportunity to voice your responses to current events through the medium of poetry. Yonina Curtin is a Red River Métis slash Icelandic poet born in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, Treaty 1 area, and she currently lives in the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nation. She received the 2016 Vancouver's Mayor's Award for an Emerging Artist in the Literary Arts category. And in addition to being a member of Room Magazine's editorial board, she is currently the curator of their online news-related poetry series, Turtle Island Responds. That's what we'll be talking about today. And she's also one of the co-founders of the reading series Indigenous Brilliance. Yonina also graduated from the SFU Writer's Studio, and she is a longstanding member of their advisory board. Another thing to know about Yonina is that she published her first book of poetry at 60, and she shares her wisdom in this episode for older emerging writers, when we also talk about learning and growing politically through our involvement with Room Magazine and working with younger writers and editors. So welcome to Lit Mag Love, Yonina Curtin. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's a thrill. So can you tell us about the online library of lived experience offered in verse that is Turtle Island Responds? What do you crave to see in the submissions that you receive there too? It is my hope to eventually hear from all underrepresented and marginalized communities. What I've received so far is remarkable and in some cases way beyond my expectations. My vision for the series was that it would begin, that we would begin to see how many things each community has in common and that supporting one another, being good allies, would make us all stronger. 
Some of the poems and author statements speak very directly to the need to be a good ally, or they highlight the common issues. Home Is is a poem uh, that was one of the first published, and it was by my chosen daughter, Zofia Muzjev. She writes of her foster care experience and in her author statement ties us to what is happening in the U.S.-Mexico border. Jude Hayes speaks to being a trans man and notes in his poem, My Blanket, that although they have faced a lot of prejudice as a trans man, that being white does bring some privilege. That poem speaks to their fear for their own safety, and it ends with these lines, which I just love. I can use my blanket of privilege until it wears paper thin to build a safer space for the ones who don't have one yet. I really appreciated that poem. Actually, it, when I was working with it, it spoke to me uh, in many ways, even though I'm not trans. I felt many, uh, I felt that fear, that understanding of privilege, uh, of not having it and having it. And it really, it's one of my favorite poems, actually. That's beautiful. And did you want to talk about why you called the series Turtle Island Response? Yeah, I, I am Indigenous. I have, I'm Métis and, and Icelandic. And I do feel very strongly that this is Turtle Island, not Canada, U.S., Mexico. Um, I have a number of Indigenous and Icelandic family that ended up south of the border. And I do wonder what life would have been like if we had not been divided by the border and considered to be living in separate countries. And so when I think of where I live, I think of living on Turtle Island, and I think of us all as living on the back of the same turtle. And I really feel that we need to be good allies to each other. Earlier this year, we spoke, and, and you told me that you read the bios first when it comes to submissions to room, and, and I'm expecting even more so when it comes to these submissions to Turtle Island response. And one thing you told me that I think is such a relief to a lot of people listening to this podcast too, is that you're not impressed by an MFA and you're looking more for lives lived. I mean, I guess it's not that you're unimpressed by an MFA, but that's not what it takes to impress you. So what's impressing you about the submissions that you've received and published so far? Yeah, I do. I do read the bios for Turtle Island Response first as well. And I also read the author statements first. In part, I do this because I need to know some context before I read the poems and even consider them, given the mandate of no stories about us without us. So I first want to know, is that poet from that community that they're writing about? So it's very relevant, relevant to my decision about publishing or not publishing. And I'd like to say that I got the idea about the author's statement from Rattles, Poets Respond. I highly recommend signing up on their email list. I've gained so much from reading the poems they publish and often found that reading the, that what they call brief explanations of the poem were often f almost far more interesting than just any bio because uh, the statement offered very compelling information about the poems and, the way, and that made them land more deeply as there was no arm's length distance between the poet, the poem, and the event they were writing about. So for me, that's when I say I'm not as impressed with an MFA. I am more interested in lived experience and things that really hit you. And so what's impressed me the most about the submissions I've received so far for Turtle Island Response is the raw honesty, the compassion, and the quality of the submissions. And my exchanges with the poems, I often feel their relief at having a place to share not just their poem, but the story attached to the poem via the author statements. It's an honor that they trust me with this work, which at times is painful to read but I'm committed to being a sacred witness to whatever they want to share. 
even if I do not select the poem for publication, I do my best to offer a personalized message of thanks to them for trusting me with their work and their story. I feel quite a responsibility to not just offer a form letter rejection, given the nature of the poems. And when people are they sending you this vulnerable work, this you know really moving work that you're receiving with such warmth and engagement too, but are there ever times when people send in a poem that you want to accept, but that you have some edits that you want to suggest for them? Yeah, this part's been tricky for me, I have to admit. Um, I do offer some editing of both the poem and the author statement if it feels necessary. Um, a lot of the poems don't require any, any editing, but sometimes given the nature of the injury, it's recent in nature, something that's caused by the news cycle or in the news cycle, the poem can be still quite fresh. So sometimes it's in need of a little fine tuning. Uh, it's sometimes it's a first draft and it is usually just small things like line breaks maybe sometimes the stanza needs to be moved or removed but I don't whatever I offer is a suggestion I don't want to have someone have this work come to me and then have them feel like I'm trying to rewrite their poem or affect their story in any way that's negative that whatever it is the message that they're trying to tell so I try to do this with the poets one-on-one -on -one, by phone, by Skype, especially the first time. Sometimes there's some back and forth afterwards, but I really um, don't want to just send them an email. I, I've tried to remove the professional layer in all areas of this. And I know some people might balk at that, but for me, this isn't, uh, I don't want to be this professional person in the background sending sort of sanitized messages. So I'm quite personal sometimes with people. Um, I engage with them. And I have had one poem that there was a line in it that seemed to be calling for violence. And it was not the poet's intention. When I pointed it out to them, they, they could see why I was concerned. And so we did change it to a, what I would call a less charged uh, way of saying things. But my main concern is that it be a good experience for the poet, that they feel good at the end of it, that they know that... Um, I'm hearing what it is that they want to say, so it is a conversation, and that any suggestions are that they are suggestions. And then there's a few hard lines, and some of those around the copy editing things like RIMS guidelines. So <laughs> we do have an agreement that we have them sign, and it's a standard agreement that RIM Magazine uses. And it does say that there might be some minor copy editing changes so that it conforms to RIMS house style. But I have to say, even with that, I'm a little bit loose. <laughs> it's poetry. Yeah, with poetry, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's so clear that I guess with this particular series, it, what differentiates it is really the the quick response time to the news cycle, like what you're, what you're talking about. And often what we're reading in poetry is sort of has that kind of distance of time. It comes from other times. It's more reflective on bigger histories. But how has it been publishing something that is is so raw and relates to the news cycle? Well, it's been more complicated than I first envisioned. So I've never spoken to Rattle. I don't know how they do it, but they release a poem every week. I'm on my own with this. So I have a wonderful web goddess helping me, um, Wendy Barron, one of our room editorial board members. But I'm the one that reads the submissions and then talks with the poets and does the editing uh, for the first round of edits. She does the other editing, the copy editing. So it's, it's difficult to manage time. So I didn't realize that, that even with my quick responses, as I can manage them, 
it's still a bit of a lag. So we're still, you know, a month, a week, two months, sometimes three months behind the news cycle. But that's still better than a year or two or five. <laughs> so it's much more complicated than I thought it would be to sort of engage with something so quickly. And the other piece that's difficult is which news piece is most deserving of being published right now. And at first I only had two poems per month that I was authorized to publish due to our budget. Now we're up to four. But even with that, there's competing interests going on. You know, we've got poems about sexual assault are quite common harassment and the Kavanaugh issue in the United States brought a lot of those forward. And then we had the Jewish synagogue shootings and the whale that was dying, you know, there's just, it's ongoing, right? So it's complicated to manage this. I think for it to be really become something that I would envision being it being, it would require more people on the ground. And we talked even before, recording about that that challenge you know all the labor that goes into to producing stuff and the way that you produce things as i've seen as someone who's on the collective with you is like this really deep engagement and you're describing that too where you're phoning people on skype um and you're talking them through the work which is just such a beautiful you know deep engagement yeah we don't want to further injure the poet as it could easily easily feel like i'm minimizing their concerns if i reject the pieces or in the way in which i edit the pieces so my goal is when I'm editing in particular is to help them strengthen their message, not water it down. But also when I'm rejecting pieces, I try to send a very personal uh, response. I'm not always able to do that. I have to tell you the truth. There's been a couple of times where I was without words in yeah. how to respond. Because the material is so difficult? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I want to talk about some conversations we've had before. So, I mean, I have the benefit of, like I said, we, we know each other from the Room Collective. And we, you will talk often about being a later emerging writer, quote unquote. And, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that the literary magazine world can feel quite impenetrable for older women, again, quote unquote. And even at Room, we still really skew quite young. So we both um, publish younger writers, you know, relatively, and then... Also, the collective is is made up of, of a lot of younger editors. So what would you say to our listeners themselves who are older emerging writers about submitting to journals today? It is a tough one. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, and I do feel that the world needs the wisdom of our crones and our elders. And I do want to say at this point, too, that Turtle Island Response does publish more than just women. We're interested in pieces from the LGBTQ2S community, so two-spirit, non-binary men, trans men are also welcome to submit. But there is a particular um, issues for older women writers. Uh, they don't feel, I guess they basically feel invisible. And, and that's a common thing for older women, period. Uh, so in the writing world, that plays out as well. So as one of the older members of board members at Room, I sometimes feel out of step especially given I have, I'm Indigenous, I have health issues, the pace is daunting and further complicating things The technology is beyond me most days. I'm embarrassed to say I just can't seem to learn some of these things. I much prefer paper and I live in what some would call uh, Indian time whenever and wherever I can. Um, I've reclaimed the name Indian time or the term because I really feel that it was a misunderstood thing when they used to call it Indian time, people used to be thinking of it in a disparaging way. But to me, I often think about cultures 
and how differently we experience time. And to me, Indian time is that I'm working with the unseen, I'm being aware and responsive, there's a timing that's beyond me. So I've been doing that with Turtle Island Response. I've not been saying I'm going to publish every Monday, every Wednesday. So that pace, you know, whether you're Indigenous or not, the pace of the literary world can be hard when you're older, and some of the technical things that are out there. And what works for younger writers may not work for you. So I would not necessarily suggest trying to just become like the younger writers. You're going to have to find your own way. I think you need to trust that there is a home for your writing somewhere. And I suggest starting small. You know, this is how I started. I didn't shoot for the moon. Uh, my first publications were in small presses, or in one case, it was the first issue. Um, I found it on Duotrop. I saw it was a first issue of Toronto Quarterly, I believe. And... Uh, I submitted and it was accepted and it was a huge, I was just so happy. <laughs> and then Room, funny, oddly enough, Room Magazine has rejected all of my earlier submissions. <laughs> I don't think I've been published in Room, but I kept going. So the other thing I would suggest doing that maybe isn't thought of often is attending open mics. I mean, there's two reasons. One, you get to hear other people's writing and it improves your writing. You get to practice and hear your own and see how people respond to it. But also, I just solicited a poem for Turtle Island Responds after hearing a woman read it at an open mic. So, you know, you just never know what can happen from those engagements. Uh, to be honest with you, I've been waiting for some poems from older women emerging or established. What can I say? I, I've been waiting. I've been hoping to hear from them about whatever uh, is happening for them, aging, health, feeling invisible, whatever sort of things might come across for them. And I have great empathy for them. You know, as you mentioned, I was one myself. I published my first book at 60 and my second at 62. So and I just can finish consulting on a first collection of poetry by an Ojibwe woman in her 80s. Reading her work really reminded me of so many moments in my own life, and it hit me hard that there are lots of readers out there like me who would appreciate work that spans a lifetime the way this collection did. So while I appreciate the creative fires and calls for just social justice that many younger poets bring us, I also see the need for the kind of wisdom that can only come from having many years on this planet. On the downside, as older writers, we may not be up to date, read social justice terms, etc. So we need to be sure to inform ourselves. So there's no hidden racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia in our writing. Engagement with younger writers who are more vocal or informed or up to date on the latest understanding of such things has saved my butt more than once. <laughs> I highly recommend using sensitivity readers um, as well. Having our work be socially aware and sensitive to the changing landscape can greatly improve our chances of being published. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, or I, I connect with what you're saying too, being, you know, sort of in the middle space, in, in the middle age, let's say, um, because I feel like I've learned a lot from being on Rooms Collective too, from the younger women, like you said, about mm -hmm. younger um, genderqueer people that are on our editorial board, that just how to take that kind of phobia, I guess, out of, out of your language and understanding the, the dynamics and what's changing in terms of how, we're, how gender is spoken about and what's sort of the political fights that are existing today too and, and how to be keenly aware of them, I guess. Absolutely. And I'm ever grateful to all the young women at Room who've helped me with these things and kept me informed and people on Twitter, you know, it's, it's a bit of work <laughs> to keep up with it all. Um, but yes, yeah, it's amazing. Is there anything else that you want to say to our older listeners who are 
looking to publish and feeling like it's hard to find their space in the younger literary scene? Absolutely. Um, I would recommend looking for online opportunities to publish, uh, like Turtle Island Responds, <laughs> Rattles Poets Responds. I've seen them publish teenagers, elders, people of all ages, so they seem quite open to any age of, and any background. Uh, be sure to really carefully read the submission guidelines, though. Look for calls for submissions on themes that you write about or have time to write about something after the call. And even if it seems outside your wheelhouse, you might be surprised. One of my favorite poems was written for a live poetry event called Nash Poetics. And the theme that night was Iron Maiden, an Iron Maiden album. I am not a fan of that kind of music, I never was. But I found the song that was chosen for me, Run to the Hills, brought an unexpected gift. I listened and obsessed about how on earth I would write a song inspired by that piece of music. So I listened to it over and over. And ironically, the title held a key. I wrote about my Métis grandmother's denial of her ancestry, which I felt contributed to her mental illness and how her mind ran to the hills. Themes are usually loose and subject to broad interpretations, so you can find a connection and just write. Try not to think too much about your age, but rather your gifts as a poet. What is it that you have to bring to the world? It's there. Might seem buried at the moment, but the more you fine-tune your craft, the more your message will shine. I also recommend getting a good photo, a cheeky bio, and boldly picture yourself taking your place. If you are part of any marginalized communities, be sure to include this. As all things being equal, it could increase your chances of your work being selected. If it feels right, own your age. My bio says I published my first book at 60 and my second at 62. I'm very proud of this and hope that it offers hope to other older late blooming writers. And when I'm looking for submissions, I look for quirky things in both the poetry, the bios, the author statements. I want to know what is unique about that person and their writing. Lovely. I love that connection. So how, how can writers connect with you and with Turtle Island Response? Turtle Island Response, um, if you go to the Room Magazine's website, you'll find Turtle Island Response is one of the tabs. You'll have to go to the bottom of the page, though, because we're not at the top. There's too many. We have too many tabs. <laughs> and we, do, we have a lot going on. And I'll, I'll link to it from the show notes, too, for the, for the episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little complicated when you get to Room. You have to know where to look. Um, but yes, and we have guidelines there, and we use a submittable account as well. If you're wanting to reach me, Personally, for manuscript consults, presentations, workshops, or readings, my email is my name, Yonina Curtin at msn.com, J-O-N-I-N-A-K-I-R-T-O-N at msn.com. And I think you're, I think you're pretty Googleable because I know you're, you've got a Wix site extension, but um, if people were to Google your name, they, your website would come up right away too. They would, and they'd see that wonderful wall mural that's in Winnipeg. Yeah, it's gorgeous. My poetry on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking part in this episode of Lit Mag Love and for sharing all your Lit Mag Love and not just in this interview, but in in the work that you do. It's so evident, the love that you give to the work you're doing. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. And thank you for all that you do. It's incredible what you offer us. It really is Lit Love. So what are the things that we can glean from my conversation with my room colleague, Yonina, 
about publishing in lit mags, but also about, I guess, being a writer and, and an emerging writer, particularly one later in life. She's speaking to those writers when she says, start small, don't shoot for the moon. But I think that advice would, would also hold for a, lo- a lot of writers in the emerging phase. She says her first publications were in small presses, or in one case, it was the first issue of a journal. And she also said that Room rejected all her earlier submissions, but she kept going. And here she is today, a member of the editorial collective. I loved her advice, too, about get a good photo, a cheeky bio, and boldly picture yourself taking your place. As an editor, something to note is that Yanina is incredibly compassionate in how she responds to your work, so you can really trust her with your words, particularly if they're vulnerable ones, as most of the submissions to Turtle Island response are. They're dealing with current events and how news stories, the headlines, are actually impacting the people who are underneath the headlines. And given the mandate of Turtle Island response, it's really important that she weeds out any stories And she does that by reading the cover letter to find out if there's any stories about us without us. That is one of the guidelines of Turtle Island Responds, and it's a practice at Room, too, that writing about cultures that you're outside of requires a really active involvement, a really active ability to find sensitivity readers, to really think about, you know, whether this is your story to tell, let's say. And there has to be that really deep consideration for that to ever happen. And she says she first needs to know that the poet is from the community they are writing about. So this is very relevant to her decision about whether or not to publish something. And this is actually the final episode this year of the Lit Mag Love podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for continuing to write and submit your work and be brave, as my guest this episode would tell you. And I also want to encourage you to reach out if you have any questions about publishing in Lit Mags. Feel free to find us on all the social media channels. Lit Mag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, Literature, Art and Feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that, and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at litmaglove. Thanks for writing and reading literature, and thanks for listening to Lit Mag Love. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.